Fromer Travel Show. I'm your host, Pauline Fromer, and we're hopping around Europe for the month of November, partially because we have issued a whole bunch of wonderful new guidebooks. Last week, we discussed the England and Scotland guide. Today, we're moving on to beautiful Spain. And to help me talk about that, I have Peter Barron on the line. He wrote several chapters for us. He's a longtime resident of Spain. Hey, Peter, thank you so much for appearing on the Fromer Travel Show. Hi, Pauline. Lovely to be with you. I'm actually in in rainy London at the moment, but I'm going back to Spain on Thursday. (laughs) So... Tell me, how long have you lived in Spain and, and how did you first come there? Well, I we've had a, a house in Spain uh, in Extremadura for about eight years now. We, we bought that in 2015. Uh, but we've been traveling to Spain for many, many years and have, have been in love with that particular region, southwest Spain, for, for many, many years. The first time I went to Spain was in the 1980s and I was actually living in Portugal at the time. And I love Portugal too, but it, it was a very wet and drab day in Portugal and there was mm. not much going on. Uh, and we got a ferry across the river uh, to, to, to southern Spain. And I distinctly remember coming through the fog uh, to the sound of trumpets. And I, we heard trumpets uh, as, we, as we docked <laughs> on, the, on the Spanish side. And of course, there was a fiesta going on uh, in the village. And, and the, the reality is that in that part of Spain, there's almost always something uh, fascinating going on. It's it's incredible. Even in tiny villages, the amount of what they call animation, animacion, uh, is incredible. Huh. So when you say that region of Spain, are you talking about Extremadura? Well, that was actually in, in Andalusia. So we're very close to the border. We can, ah. We're on the border with Andalusia and Extremadura, and you can actually walk to, to Andalusia from our house, which is lovely. Wow. All right. So let's talk about Andalusia, because that is the goal of many travelers who go to Spain. Why is that such an extraordinary place to visit? And if you were telling a first timer how to put together a good itinerary, what what would you suggest? Yes. So I I think really what in people's imagination is Spain is really Andalusia. All the, the, the famous mm. things that come from Spain, the, 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 the sherry, the, the flamenco dancing, the, the, the horsemanship, and all, all of those things mm. uh, that people are very much associated with, with Spain uh, come from Andalusia. And it is just a, a really wonderful place of, of bright colours and flowers and, and, uh, and, and enthusiasm from the, from the people. They, lo- they love to, to sing and dance and, and, and have fun. So it is a, it is a wonderful region and it also has some of the most beautiful architecture in all Spain. It was occupied by the the Muslims from North Africa for for about 800 800 years until 1492 and their history and heritage is still very much there, particularly in the in, in the great cities of Seville, which has the Alcázar, uh, in Cordoba, which has the, the Mesquita, uh, and uh, of course Granada, which has the Alhambra. Right. And you actually wrote about Seville for us on our list of the best places to go in 2024 for a very contemporary reason. It, it didn't have to... I mean, you go to Seville to see the great uh, Moorish wonders, but Seville is also kind of leading the way in another way. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, absolutely. Yes. And look, Seville faces a, a couple of big challenges. One is climate change. It, it, it gets extremely hot in Seville. It's always been extremely hot in, in, in Seville. 
and that's one of its advantages, but it's getting ever hotter uh, and, and there's a concern that that's not sustainable. Mm. And also it attracts a lot of visitors. Um, so the, the authorities in Seville have really worked hard to, to build sustainable tourism and, and to be carbon neutral and to do it in a very, very responsible way. And I have to say they, they have done a beautiful job. It was named European Smart Capital of 2023. And huh. even though it still attracts a, a large number of tourists, they have used technology and green transport uh, and a whole lot of uh, innovative schemes really to make it an extremely pleasant place to wander around. And you have these incredible historic buildings which have been recently restored the the Heralda tower on the cathedral is just looks magnificent and 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 gl- huh. glows in the sunlight but it, it is surrounded by you know pedestrianized area you have bikes that you can rent to to, to to get around the city there's a tram line that runs through through the center it, it really is a delightful place to be even though uh, it, it, it does get busy with uh, visitors so would you suggest that people base themselves in Seville or do you think people should go from city to city and spend a couple of days in each if, if somebody is planning a first-time visit yes well I mean if, if, if you assume that people I suppose people coming from the United States might might have a week I suppose in in Andalusia, uh, I think you you can certainly get around Seville, Cordoba, and Granada in the in the space of a week and spend a couple of days in, in each place, and that would be a, that would be a beautiful visit. And the only the only downside with that is that, that all three of those places are are busy. There are there are a lot of tourists around, and I would also encourage anyone coming to Spain also to to get away from. Get off the beaten track and go to some of the, uh, the the less visited places, which are, you know, in many ways uh, equally beautiful and and and, and equally uh, interesting. But yes, I think if, you, if you're visiting first time, I, I, I certainly would, would would aim to go to to, to Cordoba, Seville, and, and Granada. Actually, in, in the book. Well, let's 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 say that these these imaginary Americans have ten days, right? So they can Perfect. do one of the off the beaten path destinations in Andalusia where where do you send them well in our book we have a we have a, a suggested itinerary which is called uh, the the spirit of Andalusia and that starts in in Malaga and ends up in in Seville and prob- probably if you're visiting you're most likely to be flying into Seville or you might be flying into Madrid but there's a very good train that takes you uh, from Madrid to, to Seville so I think Seville as a, as a kind of base is a, is a good idea but the, the, the Malaga to uh, Seville uh, itinerary takes you through Ronda, which is a, you know, it, it, it's a, it's a place that has a lot of visitors, but is a, it, an achingly beautiful place with an, a, a, mm. a high-rise uh, bridge across a, 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 a very deep and dramatic gorge, but a, a wonderful place. And then you go through the the white villages, uh, you know, the the, the the hill, the white hilltop uh, villages, and then of course you end mm. you end up in the the Sherry Triangle around Jerez and and, and Cadiz, uh, and that's a wonderful place. And they, they, those uh, towns and, and cities just have the the real spirit of Andalusia in their in their bloodstream, you know, so that you you have the sherry, right. you have the flamenco, you have the the horse yes. the horsemanship, and it's just a wonderful vision of uh, Spain. 
you know, speaking of flamenco, we we put a flamenco dancer on the cover of this book, and I worried that it was too touristy. But at the same time, when you go and see flamenco in this region, and you go to see one of the better companies do it, it's a rapturous experience. I mean, the artistry and the passion in that dance. How do you make sure you go to the right flamenco show? Well, you have to read about it in the book. <laughs> uh, <laughs> of course. <laughs> but but I, I, I agree with you. I mean, I have to say, of, of the flamenco shows that I've gone to see, I, have, I, have, I don't think I've actually ever been disappointed. And I think you do need to choose hmm. carefully because there, there, there are some places that are, are, are set out to uh, attract the tourists uh, and are, and are of, right. of, not of the highest quality. But I think if you spend a little bit of time thinking about it, there's, there's lots of good recommendations in, in the book. Uh, you should be able to go to, to places of really high quality. And they, and they, they, they are wonderful occasions. And I'm thinking about one in, in Cadiz, which I particularly love. It's called uh, the, the Pelican Music Cafe. Um, and it is, huh. and, and the, the, the venue is literally built into the ramparts where the, the waves uh, from the sea uh, lash up against the ramparts of, of, of the building. And when, wow. I, when I would see a show there, they, they opened the window and the wind from the sea was blowing in to cool the performers who were you know, dancing, oh dan- dancing and playing in a passionate way. It was absolutely wonderful. Wow. Wow. You really brought that to life. Amazing. You know, I, I had a dear friend who, about a year before the pandemic, moved to Spain. And uh, luckily, in that time, she found herself a boyfriend, so she had some sort of social support there. But her emails, and I would talk to her, I talked to her a lot during the pandemic, because I think Spain's shutdown was one of the most serious in the world. Was, she was. she barely was able to leave her apartment. It was it was very difficult. Did you find that a lot of places closed, never to return? Or did other places improve during the pandemic? We can talk about Andalusia, and then we can talk also about Madrid. But, but what are the changes from before the pandemic to now that you saw? Yes, I mean, there, there was quite a bit of change. And actually, that, that really impacted us in, in, in doing the, the book, because uh, literally everything changed in even it's, it, it's sometimes in, in small ways just in, in terms of mm. the way that a restaurant might use a QR code uh, for, for its menu or a, right. a museum might have timed slots uh, rather than uh, just being able to, to to walk in but everything changed but I and, and of course some places did shut I mean sadly and I, I'm thinking of a, a a music venue a wonderful music venue in Seville uh, that didn't reopen after the pandemic. Hmm. I don't. I don't know if, if it was the pandemic that did it or, or or not. But it was sad to see that it, right. it didn't reemerge. But I do think that it, across the board, actually, places took uh, took took advantage of the of of the fact of the of the pandemic to emerge uh, in a stronger and better way. And, and you know, Spain, for example, doesn't have a great or hadn't didn't have a great record of. Of accepting cards, for example, cash was still dominant uh, before the pandemic, and of course, it, huh. it kind of uh, give it an, imp- an impetus to the, the move towards uh, accepting cards, you know, on, on buses and, tr- and yeah. trains and, and, and things like that. 
So I, I think when I, I went back to very quickly, but when I went back to France for the first time after the pandemic, I was stunned. I didn't have to change money. Yeah. I went, I think, for four or five days without changing any money and, and was able to pay for everything with cards. That has to do for our American listeners with the EU's smart regulation of the credit card industry. Unlike here in the United States, where credit cards uh, charge a huge fee to business owners, which makes it onerous for them to accept small amounts of of money on credit cards, in the EU, uh, those fees don't exist. And so you can get around with plastic everywhere. Absolutely. It's, it's really astonishing to an American. Absolutely. And, and Spain has definitely taken, uh, taken a leap forward in that regard. Uh, also online booking, for example, there, there, there was a lot of places where you, you couldn't book online before the pandemic. And now almost every museum uh, has online booking. And of course, with timed slots, which was very much a thing from the pandemic, which you need to be yeah. care- be careful about. You know, if, you, if you're going to Prado Museum or any of the big, uh, the, the, the big museums, you need to make sure that you turn up at the right time. So they'll they'll turn you away if you're if you're too late. Well, there's a risk of that. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking, for example, about the the Alhambra in 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 Granada, where you know they have a huge number of visitors. Uh, and if you're going to if you're planning to make a trip to the to the Alhambra, make sure you you book it even before you leave the United States and and, and go to Spain. You, you, if you go to Granada, you really huh. do, you really don't want to miss the Alhambra, uh, which is the wonderful. Sure. Uh, uh, fortress palace that uh, was built by the by the Moors back in, uh, in the 14th century. So yes you've got you've got time slots you've got to make sure that your ticket uh, covers the, the bits that you really want to see um, and uh, mm. make sure you book it well in advance. Yeah. All right. I I want to talk about Madrid but I, since we're in this general region let's talk about Extremadura and Extremadura does mean extreme place right it, extreme hard place yes well i mean literally the the words extrema and dura mean extreme and hard and a lot of people will say to you if you if you're talking to them in extremadura they, they kind of wear that with a, as a badge of pride i mean actually what it really means is <laughs> is yes a, a extreme extreme edge or or beyond the river duero so it, it's a, it's not 100% ah. sure uh, exactly what it means but it mean it definitely means remote uh, and it is the most remote region in Spain and, and the least de- developed and the least visited. Uh, and that is very much to its advantage, uh, in my opinion. It, it is a wonderful place. First of all, f- for the landscape, which is you know extremely, it's sparsely populated and it is extremely beautiful and untouched. Uh, it has wonderful mm. wildlife. It has wonderful food and drink. It, it, it also has fun- fantastic uh, what they now call astrotourism, because because the night sky has very very little ah. light pollution because it's got a small population. Uh, the night sky is truly unbelievable, uh, and and now we're we're seeing astrotourism companies gr- growing up, uh, which give you a sort of expert guided uh, tour of the night sky, which is which is truly wonderful. But in terms of his, historic buildings, uh, the famously the the conquistadors uh, who colonised uh, America largely right. came from Extremadura. They came from these remote towns huh. where there wasn't much going on 500 years ago. And what they did is obviously they made a lot of money uh, and they sent it back and built you know great palaces and churches in these small towns in, in Extremadura. And they still exist and they're, they're, they're huh. almost untouched. So if you, if you go to places like 
Cáceres uh, or Trujillo, which are not well known internationally. They, these are truly beautiful places with amazing history, uh, and you can really enjoy them uh, without uh, the crowds. The other wonderful wow. place that I would recommend everyone to visit is, is Merida, which was the was the capital of, of the Roman Empire in, in Iberia, uh, going back uh, two thousand years. And uh, Merida, which actually comes from the the Latin Emeritus Augusta, but it was the it was founded by the Emperor Augustus, and huh. it has it has the best Roman ruins outside of Italy, and a wonderful mm. Roman theatre and amphitheatre and uh, a Roman bridge. Uh, it's a beautiful place to visit, and you you almost always have it to yourselves. Oh wow, it sounds amazing! All right, let's go now to the capital, to Madrid. You said to my colleague Zach that. During the pandemic, they took the time to really make some parts of it far less grungy, that the, the capital is looking better than it has in a long time, correct? Oh, t- absolutely. And I, I think the work, for example, on the Gran Via I mean, has been going on for, for several years now, but it sort of emerged after the pandemic in, in, in a beautiful state. So yes, Gra- Gran Via, for those who don't know it, was the, is the main thoroughfare that goes through Madrid. And it was built in the 20th century, sort of early 20th century, and it was really built for the for the automobile age. Um, and it has a lot of, of grand, modern in those days, bu- buildings uh, in, the, in the sort of early 20th century style, sort of art deco buildings. And it's, it's ab- the, the buildings are beautiful and very, very striking. But in recent years, uh, it was kind of grimy and grungy, as you say, and there was a, lo- a lot of traffic. It, the buildings were all, all very dirty. And you know, whereas it had been a sort of movie theatre, a centre of movie theatres for much of the 20th century, it then became kind of department stores or chain stores and, and, and so on. So it was a rather, it was a rather dowdy and, and depressing place. But it, it has emerged uh, in, in a beautiful former glory uh, it's it's all been cleaned up they they've partially pedestrianized the the road and it really does look it shines in the sun and looks absolutely marvelous and a, a lot of work is going on around madrid i mean puerto del sol which is probably the most famous landmark which is kind of equivalent i suppose to to times square or piccadilly circus uh. it, it used to be a a, a cd Nevertheless, a, a, an appealing place, but a rather a rather seedy place. But these days, uh, it's very neat and tidy. Uh, perhaps, uh, mm. perhaps even a little bit too neat and tidy. It looks it, little, it looks a little bit antiseptic <laughs> these days. But no, I oh. think in, in general, the authorities in Madrid have done a wonderful job. I think of of, of making the, the the city look good, and uh, they've, they've right. cleaned it up very impressively. And when I was looking at the book to just reacquaint myself with Madrid, I I was just struck by the riches in the museums there. It It is without a doubt one of the finest museum cities in the world, especially if you're interested in the Spanish masters. Does that make the museum experience a little overwhelming? Are the museums overcrowded or have the timed tickets helped with that yeah i mean look it, you have you have three of three world class museums within yeah. a few blocks of each other in what they call the the the, the arts district and you've got the prado the uh, the reina sofia and the tyson bonamisa and in any other city uh, each of those museums would be the crown jewels of that city i think uh, but madrid yes. has, has all three 
And it can be overwhelming, particularly if you haven't got that much time to try to fit them all in. And you can get an arts pass, which will give you entrance to all three uh, museums. And it can be a little bit of a marathon if you're trying to get around them. Trying to do all three in one day, I think, is is, is pushing it. But if you have two days to, to spend, no. uh, I think you can get around. You should do, maybe spend one day in the Prado, which is you know the place for the Spanish masters where you have Velázquez uh, and and El Greco and uh, Goya, uh, and see, seeing the, the the Spanish masters close up is an absolute thrill. Does get busy, but again, you have you have timed uh, entry slot tickets, and it's it's very well managed. And then uh, you have the Reina Sofia, which is modern art. We have, of course, uh, Picasso's uh, famous Guernica, sure. which is, is worth it for the it's, it's worth the, the the entry fee alone to see that. It's incredible. And then the the Tyson Bornemisa, which has an in- incredible collection of well European and world art going back uh, hundreds of years. Where it's a kind of greatest hits collection from. from uh, uh, some very wealthy industrialists who uh, who established the collection. It's 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 an amazing amazing set of uh, of art museums in a in a very very small space of uh, geographical space. Yeah. No. And then after the museums, I, I learned this this morning. Uh, I didn't realize tapa means lid, and that is because often bartenders to keep flies out of the drinks, would put a saucer on top of the a cup that they were serving whatever alcohol in. And then eventually they started putting little snacks on top of the saucer to try and keep people in the bar longer. I thought that was absolutely fascinating. And, you, and in the book, we say that there's, uh, an, I think there's something like, it's amazing how many tapas uh, Madrileño can consume in the day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's this it's, unlimited number. It's, it's astonishing. At any time of the day or night, you will see people from Madrid uh, enjoying tapas. And and there are literally thousands of places to have uh, tapas a, a, across Madrid. Uh, but uh, I think I think my recommendation would you know, most people visiting Madrid w- will probably go for tapas around Plaza Santa Ana, which is a very you know it's a, it's a, it's a lovely neighbourhood with, with lots of great tapas bars. One one area close by to there uh, to the to the area that's called Las Letras is is called Calle Jesus uh, Jesus Street, and it's it's my particular favourite because it has maybe five or six bars in close proximity along along one street and all of them serve free tapas with your, your oh. beer so, and they make they take great pride in in pouring the beer in what they call the old style to make it uh, make it very creamy uh, and then they give mm. you you're very likely to get a free tapas a free a, a plate of tapas with your beer so you can just sort of wend your way from one bar to the next Perhaps not have not sit down for dinner, and I think you know, the idea that you should sit down for dinner in Madrid uh, is is not quite right. It's probably be, it's very often huh. better just to jump from from bar to bar. But that's a particularly so en- enjoyable. Can you make an entire meal out of free tapas and just drink? Just pay for the drinks? You can. You, you certainly could. Uh, you do have to drink quite a lot of beer to get <laughs> to get there. So you've got to be a little bit careful. But yes, you you could go and have. You go to th- to four or five bars, uh, have a, a small beer in each one, and the chances are you'd get enough to, to satisfy you uh, in, in terms of dinner. The other great place, which is a little, <laughs> uh, which I heartily recommend, which is a little bit 
out of the center, but it's very much where young people from Madrid go to to, to, to have fun, is a, a street called Calle Ponzano. And it is quite incredible. I think there are there are about 70 uh, tapas bars on one My goodness. on one street. I mean it's quite a it's quite a long street. It's a wonderful thing to, to get a taxi to the top and then walk back into town, sampling uh, di- different tapas bars along the way. And the great, particularly thing, good thing about that street is that you have these wonderful traditional tiled seafood bars that are, you know, old Madrid. And then you have these extremely modern, fashionable stainless steel places, uh, you know, side by side with each other. So you can just swing from, from traditional to modern and, and try all kinds of different tapas along the way. It's wonderful. Oh, that sounds really fun. Well, on that note, I'm going to thank you. Thank you so much, Peter. It's been a delight. We didn't get to side trips from Madrid, but people can pick up the book. And and happy travels to you. Thank you. It's all in the book. Uh, enjoy. Continuing on with Spain, we have Murray Stewart on the line. He's the author of several chapters in the just-published Spain book, including the Basque Country. Hey, Murray, welcome to the Fromer Travel Show. Thank you, and hi, everyone. So, the Basque Country, it really could be considered a, a different culture than the rest of Spain, or is that overstating things? I mean, it, it has a very different history than, than other parts of the, of the country, correct? Definitely, yes. I think um, it's maybe something that people read about but, but kind of gloss over, but I would agree with you. It's It's got a very, very strong identity, and many of the people there would consider themselves not to be Spanish, but, hmm. but to be Basque first and foremost. Um, having said that, of course, it's quite cosmopolitan, and so not everyone that you're going to meet in the Basque country is, in fact, a Basque. various periods in history, a lot of people have immigrated into the Basque country because it's one of Spain's industrial powerhouses, if you like, and therefore a lot of people have gone there to to fuel the industry with their labour. Can you give us just a geographical overview of where the Basque country is before we go on and talk more about the culture? Yeah, of course. Uh, for For those who don't know, it forms part of northern Spain that's east of the Cantabrian mountains and and then stretches across to the Pyrenees and touches on the the border with France. So it, it can't really be described as uh, northwest Spain because that is Galicia that stretches out into the Atlantic and it can't really be described as northeast Spain because that really is Catalonia. So it's I guess it's kind of north central Spain. And it's got the Bay of Biscay along its coast. And then to the south, it borders on La Rioja and it borders on Navarre. And as I say, it also borders to the north um, with the French border. Right. And and there are Basque in France, France too. I mean, this is a culture that, tell me if I'm wrong, this is considered one of the oldest cultures in all of Europe correct? That's correct, yes. And, and you're right, it does actually cross the border. Uh, the Basque, Basque people do cross the border, uh, across the Pyrenees and and into France. So um, if you're a Basque nationalist, and, and there are 
quite a few strident Basque nationalists still still around, sure. then their ideal situation would be an independent country that includes the three Basque Spanish provinces, the whole of Navarre, and three former provinces that are now squarely part of, of France. So yes, the, if you want to see the Basque country, then it, the Basque identity, sorry, it's definitely stronger uh, south of the Pyrenees, i.e. in the Spanish part. It's slightly more diluted as you cross the Pyrenees and go into the French part. A lot of French Basques are quite happy to call themselves Basques and French. Uh, huh. but, but some of the, 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 the Spanish, in inverted commas, Basques, are very much Basques and uh, don't necessarily identify themselves as Spanish at all. Yeah, yeah. And and one of the top cities is San Sebastian, which I always think of. I mean, it's a it's one of the most glorious resorts in all of Europe. I mean, just a beautiful, beautiful seaside place. But it's also a major foodie destination, right? And I was I was talking with your colleague Peter Baron about tapas in Madrid. Pinchos, am I, am I pronouncing that right? Absolutely Pinchos right, Pauline, yeah. um, is, yes. the, is the Basque equivalent of what? How do they differ than tapas from tapas? Uh, well, in, in essence, not, not greatly in terms of the concept, but I would say if you go to somewhere like San Sebastian, which you've correctly identified as being a, a great gastronomic center, I would say there's quite a lot more elaboration goes into the production of pinchos than you might find in your kind of standard tapas in other parts of Spain. So when you huh. when you see these dishes coming out of the, the kitchen and, and plonked onto the bars of San Sebastian or, or Bilbao for that matter, it's quite amazing how much work has actually gone into produce a little bite-sized masterpiece that's probably only going to cost you a couple of euros. Yeah, so, I mean, San Sebastian has loads of Michelin star restaurants, and I think people even even in other parts of Spain would probably grudgingly admit that, that San Sebastian really has it in terms of being the pinnacle of, uh, of, uh, of, of Spanish uh, cuisine. Cuisine. Yeah. Well, is that partially because it has a history of average citizens being really, really into food. I mean, aren't there clubs there for men who do cook-offs with one another? I mean, it's yeah. it's kind of this competitive sport, cooking in San Sebastian. Yeah, it, it's, it's quite peculiar. I remember the first time I went there, which is um, longer ago than I care to remember, <laughs> um, I, I became, I became aware, aware of these gastronomic societies. And the interesting thing, and you know, there's no reason why it shouldn't be like this, but at, at that time they were almost exclusively exclusively for men. And hmm. it's it's competitive, yes, but in a kind of gentle kind of way, in the sense that I have been to some of these. Um, access really is, is for members only, but, but, but being a travel writer does give you some privileges. But going, going into these, you realise that although it is competitive, it's in a gentle way in the sense that it's very collaborative as well. So when I've, huh. when I've been to them, I've found, you know, a group of men in the kitchen kind of discussing what one of them is producing and maybe giving a few tips as to how it might, might be improved or, or uh. made different. So it's, okay. it, it's, it's fascinating, yeah. And, and now I think women and children are, are, are allowed in, but it's still quite a bit of a male preserve. Huh. 
Interesting. And Bilbao. Bilbao, of course, is one of the world's great art and architecture destinations. When the Guggenheim Bilbao was built, wow, was that maybe 20 years ago now? Yeah. Uh, it, it, it jettisoned the city to the forefront for world architecture because it's this wacky structure by Frank Gehry. Has that calmed down now? Are, are people still arriving in droves just for the Guggenheim or, or is it easier now to see the city than it was maybe pre-pandemic? Well, I, th- I think just looking at the, the history of Bilbao very briefly, I mean, Bil- Bilbao hmm. was a massive industrial uh, city in the north of Spain. And even if you drive past it now on, on, the, on, the, on the motorways, on the freeways, it looks pretty ugly from the outside. But once you get down into the city itself, it's actually quite a stunning place. And Bilbao took a huge gamble by investing in building the Guggenheim. And I think when they did so, everyone kind of thought, you must be mad. Who's going to come to Bilbao? But it, huh. it's, kind of, it's kind of regenerated the city very much. A lot of people still come to Bilbao because of the Guggenheim. But I think once they've mm-hmm. seen the Guggenheim, they'll find there's quite a, a vibrant city round about it. Quite a lot of interesting architecture apart from the Guggenheim. A great... Co- modern or or like Gothic or what types of architecture? Well, both? Modern architecture, really. So if, if everyone wants to have a look in, uh, at an image of the, the Bilbao airport, um, it's it's quite a, quite a stunning quite a stunning structure. Some of the bridges that have been built post-industri- post-industrial period in Bilbao are also quite stunning. Um, so it's, mm. it's the modern architecture, really, that, that takes the eye, I think. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I've never been. I'm, I'm embarrassed to say I've, I've always wanted to go. Now, you also wrote Navarre for us. Yeah. I, I think a, a lot of our listeners will have some idea of what Basque country is, but Navarre. What makes Navarre visitable? Why do people go there? I I feel a little bit sorry for for Navarre, to be honest, because it's, first of all, I mean, in history, it had a coastline, but after a few invasions, that got denied to it. So so it's landlocked. You don't have any beach to run to. You don't have any coastline. Navarre Ah. is an interesting place. It doesn't have much of a population, but it's actually quite large, which means I wouldn't say you get the place to itself, uh, to yourself, but but actually you're never going to be really amongst the crowds, apart from if you go to its capital city, Pamplona, uh, ah. during, during the San Ferminas festival, the bull running, which was kind of popularised by Ernest Hemingway, then it, right. then it gets pretty crazy. But But Navarre... You could almost split it into two, although there's no precise geographical split. The northern part in Navarre is very much a strong Basque culture still. But once you get south of Pamplona, it's very becomes much more Spanish, much more Mediterranean, and, and you won't hear the Basque language getting spoken at all. But what, huh. what, what Navarre has, apart from Pamplona, it has wide open spaces. It has the Pyrenees to the north. It has stunning gorges over in the east, not quite Grand Canyon, but pretty spectacular. And uh-huh. It also has a rather strange curiosity called the Bardenas Reales, which, which is a semi-desert, um, a little bit like Arizona, though I'm afraid I've never actually been to Arizona. But, <laughs> but it's, it's, it, it's, it's quite amazing. And the other thing that Navarre has and we're, we're probably going to come on to Larioca, but Navarre has some really excellent wines. 
Um, so if you're mm. wine tourism, it's definitely another option. What's it known for? Whites, reds? I mean, what, what type of wine? I would say uh, mainly reds. It, it does also have some whites, but I think you, you would focus on red wine if you were in Navarre. That, that's really its main production and, and what gives it its reputation. Right. Well, since you brought up uh, the Festival of San Fermin, we got to go into that. So many tourists want to go. Is it all that? Or is it just a crowd scene that's out of control nowadays? I mean, what would be your advice for somebody who wanted to see that in person or maybe even run it? Um, I think, I think, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a little bit um, ambivalent about it. Obviously, uh, you know, as I say, it was popularized by Ernest Hemingway. And I do kind of think that maybe if Hemingway was coming back now, then he might have second thoughts about having popularized it. It is a huge... Huh huge festival um on the one hand it's a celebration of much of uh Navarrese culture so you'll have music you'll have dancing you'll have the the bull runnings um which you've got to be very brave to do that i've never done it i'm not that brave huh. um <laughs> but th- there is definitely a kind of downside to it in, in the sense that um it's become a bit of a victim of its own success so hmm. um, it takes place for, what, I think, nine days in total. And it's had quite a bit of bad publicity in the last few years. You mean people getting gored or even killed or, yeah. or publicity of other sorts? I think, I think the gorings kind of come with the territory. But, but, it, but it does attract people who are there to take advantage of the crowd, shall we say. So pickpockets, oh. assaults. If you want to go there, you're going to have to book very early, be prepared to dig very deep into your pockets for accommodation, because hmm. I'm afraid the accommodations get, the prices get multiplied three or four times for San Ferminas, and you're going to have to book about a year in advance to make sure you get any kind of accommodation. Wow. I, I'm not really a fan. I mean, Pamplona is a pleasant city to visit outside of outside of the bull running. Uh-huh. Um, but I think if you, if you want to go to Pamplona, then... Unless you're going specifically for San Ferminas, I would avoid it at that time. And oh. That's early July, so yeah, you've got to uh, you've got to be in for the party if you want to go because it is pretty cool. right. It's a few years yeah. been, but it's getting busier and busier. So now, is there something I haven't asked you about in the chapters that you covered that you think our listeners should know about? The one thing we haven't discussed about that. I, I, touched on it very briefly, is La Rioja, which is a separate autonomous community. So as I said earlier, it's south of the Basque Country and Mm. it's uh, west of Navarre. La Rioja is Spain's smallest mainland autonomous community. And it really is famous. It's on the map, really, for its wine. It is Spain's most famous Sure. It's most famous wine. Um, yeah. Uh, people from Catalan, Catalonia might argue about Cava, which is of course their sparkling, sparkling wine. But but La Rioja is is the Spanish wine that you'll find in in restaurant menus all over the world. It's a kind of sure. It's the kind of the landmark wine for Spain. Um, and what's the what's the wine tasting experience like there? Uh, do you go from winery to winery in La Rioja? Do you need advanced reservations, or is it or is it more of something that you see from afar? 
No, um, I mean, nearly all the, the, the big wineries we're talking about in the capital Logroño or the second kind of town of um, La Rioja, Haro, most of the big wineries there will have tours available in English, which is, of course, quite important, with, sure. with tastings. And the biggest ones are very, very professionally done. You do generally have to book in advance. You know, the, the footfall outside of high season can be quite low. So it's quite reasonable for them to ask that you, you book in advance. Um, sure. But, but really, La Rioja, Navarra and the southern part of the Basque Country are, are all very well developed in wine tourism nowadays. And yeah, it's a good experience. I mean, I, I like to go to one or two wineries when I'm there. But if you're a real wine lover, you could you could quite happily spend a week or two going from winery to winery. Oh my goodness, that would be a sodden <laughs> week or two. I would think you'd be. Yeah, you need someone to drive you around. <laughs> right? Yeah, need to make sure you have somebody to drive you around. Well, Murray, it's been such a delight speaking with you. Thank you so much for appearing on the Fromer Travel Show. Absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for the opportunity. And that's it for this week's show. But we're not done with Spain. I'm going to be discussing the Barcelona region with Jennifer Caesar on our next show. But our next show is not next week uh, because next week is Thanksgiving and I'm taking it off. So we hope you'll join us the week after next. And there are many people traveling, I know, for the holidays. So may I wish you a hearty bon voyage. Watching cable.